Hi, Vince. Hi. Hello. So we are going to return to our conversation about new guilt this week. So a quick recap, if you're just joining us or if you need a little um, reminder on where we've been the past couple of weeks, new guilt, as we're talking about, is this constant feeling of being guilty before ourselves. And we all experience this around things like not doing enough, not doing the right thing, not having enough time. Not having enough time, yeah, yeah. So in a quickly accelerating world where we are conscious of a whole lot of things, this makes sense. It's not a fluke at all. And so far, we've been looking at forgiveness as a counter to this type of guilt. Last week, we looked at participating in the flow of forgiveness, Mm -hmm. especially in relationships and within community, following the lead of Jesus and cultivating an environment that relieves burdens instead of heaping more burdens on both on ourselves and on one another. So we are going to take some time now to continue this conversation by responding to some comments that came up in the chat. Yeah, yeah. Which is exciting. And, and a few, actually, that were in person, too. So we yes. got a lot, like a, a boatload of feedback over the last two weeks, which was really cool. That shows us that, um, that it's helpful for us. We want feedback from you all uh, when we are planning our talks because it, it helps us to plan and it helps us to know what is connecting with people's lives. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to get us started? Sure. With the first, yeah, I can do the first one. Yep. First yeah. one here. So, uh, yeah. So the first comment that we pulled um, uh, was uh, Haley asked the question last week: uh, What does guilt, uh, as we're talking about this, you know, feeling guilty to yourself? What does it lead you to do? What are some of the things that you wish you could weed out of your life, but that you see um, coming uh, happening when you're when you're feeling guilty? And one comment was about avoidance in response mm-hmm. to that. I'll read the comment and then we can we can comment on it. I'll, I'm good. curious to hear what you think. Um, so the comment was, uh, I really want to reach out and uh, to be with or support a person and or a cause, um, but because I'm overwhelmed and haven't been able to do so, I put off reconnecting with that person or giving what I can to that cause because I feel guilty that I haven't been there for a while and so on. Vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what does that make you think of? <laughs> yeah. So I think that for me, this is definitely connected to this ongoing sense of there's not enough time. Not enough time. Yeah. That's one yeah. of the points that it connects to. The other one, um, the avoidance cycle here for some of us might be connected to anticipatory anxiety. Okay. Mm -hmm. All of that buildup that really comes before actually moving forward with reaching out to someone, with investing in some type of cause in really tangible ways, the anxiety that gets pent up before it even happens. It's true. It's worse than actually doing something about it. Yeah. 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 I can think of... um, the the t- uh, one thing I've tried to work on in the last three years is becoming more uh, civically engaged. And so if there, you know, like it matters that I know who my alder person is or something, you know, mm-hmm. or that I actually show up to and understand what's going on in local politics. Um, and so many of those times, like at, whether it's like sending like an email and they their office is getting like hundreds of emails or like showing up to a call with like, you know, six or seven people plus my alder person, um, I, I like it's the it's all of the anticipation of like how is this going to look like what if I say something stupid or what if I you know like mm-hmm. what what will happen that that all of that is worse than the actual experience itself um, and that is that is that is a really interesting feature of life today right is like we have that's probably a feature of that like we're conscious of everything right because it's like mm-hmm. we we think it'll look like this because I saw Parks and Rec once and that's how it went and like <laughs> oh no like is it going to look like that that sounds terrible. Um, and it's a blessing and a burden to be conscious of so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the anticipatory anxiety before sending emails in particular. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Hitting that send button. 
used to, yeah, exactly. It's so, it becomes so difficult. The other thing I think about with avoidance is, um, we'll mention this again before the end of today, but this idea that we pitched for the first time last week of communal matches where mm -hmm. we're connecting people together to get, get once a month you get paired with somebody and, uh, and connect with them. And some of, the, some of the, re the reason behind us trying to pitch this as a church is a lot of the guilt that people feel around small groups. Um, if you've spent any time in a church at all, um, as an adult, you've likely been around a small group structure, which are awesome things. It's, you know, smaller groups of people. Like, when we come together here at the Davis, there's like 40, 50 people, uh, you know, or like on a Zoom call, it's, you know, it's not exactly the easiest place to get to know somebody, right? Maybe you, maybe you learn something and maybe you have a, an experience of prayer. That's cool. But you can't really get to know somebody unless you're in a smaller group. And so, yeah, small groups, that's great. We should do that. However, uh, we should, we sh exactly, we should. And this is, I, I think this shoulds. is the, that we're shooting all over ourselves, like we said last week. Um, the, uh, the challenge when that becomes such a should and such a clear marker is not realizing how fast paced life has become, especially in the last 10 to 15 years. We suddenly feel like it's like, well, there, we have all of these once a week things, and then a small group with church seems like the right idea, but it's yet another once a week thing. And it adds to that big ball of my life is too big to manage, and I don't have enough time for everything. And so then that cycle that we hear in this comment begins, right? Because it's like, oh, well, I, I wasn't there last week, and I don't want to like show up and be that person. But then if you, you know, but but then you then you do show up, and you're like, oh, but I was, oh, and I didn't know anybody, and so maybe I shouldn't go up, you know, again. And then and 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 it just it it continually devolves into this feeling where I think everybody simultaneously is feeling like they're not showing up to that group. Uh, but not realizing that everybody's feeling it at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that is just like, we need to blow that up. That, that is not working for us. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think a, a, lot of that, um, a lot of that feeling of like, I, I, I will tend to avoid, um, the, the, the issue with that is not you are a bad person because you're avoiding. I think the issue is that we have this culture that tells us we ought to be able to do all of these things. You should be able to stay connected with everybody you've ever met because Facebook exists. <laughs> and yet that's unreasonable, right? Mm -hmm. And so we, it, it's only natural that we would feel like we should avoid. And I think something that helps with this too, and this actually came up within the chat, um, but to avoid this idea of needing to do everything mm -hmm. all at once mm -hmm. or do absolutely nothing and avoid, mm -hmm. um, that the sol one of the solutions can be having bite-sized pieces mm. of um, building up small ways to start engaging with people. Like maybe um, the task of reconnecting with someone that you haven't talked to in a really long time feels really daunting to have like this huge sit-down meal together. But can maybe, we get back to where we were years ago or yeah, something? Yeah. But maybe a 10-minute phone call just to check in. Maybe that's a small bite-sized piece yeah. um, that can actually be a practical way that you can budget your own energy for mm -hmm, things mm -hmm. and manage expectations and boundaries and things like mm -hmm. that. Yeah. I, I, I suppose my maybe my, my biggest piece of like what... Um, what is spiritual and emotional health given the fact that we, we, a lot of us might resonate with that idea of like, I just want to avoid because it feels so overwhelming. My, I think the best spiritual and emotional advice is not, it's not always like, we'll just stop avoiding. I mean, maybe some of us do need, maybe some of us struggle with avoidance. And I, I know I, people dear in my life would, would, would like raise their hand and say, I struggle with avoidance. And so this, this might not be for you, but I think if that's like a general thing and, and you're not necessarily a voider elsewhere in your life, my guess would, would be that the way, to, um, the way to navigate this is not to think that you're doing something wrong because you feel like you need to avoid so much. It, I think the issue is just like we need to, we need to better 
we need to better understand um, that this is a feature built into modern life. Mm-hmm. Um, you will always feel like you don't have enough time. And um, the way that we fight that is not so much getting better at you know, fitting everything in. The way that we fight that is we acknowledge like, oh yes, okay, I'm being, I'm being encouraged to live at an unsustainable pace. Um, so it's slightly different than just like stop avoiding, yeah. I think. Yeah. I don't really think that that's super useful. Stop avoiding. Yeah, yeah that's, that's not always the nicest thing to hear. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's move to this next comment. Um, this one stood out about the challenge of relationships. Um, it says here, have I had all the com- hard conversations that I can, especially in my family, or did I just stop talking to someone because it was uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Did I let that person go because it was toxic or because I just don't want to work at it? Yeah, yeah. I think that this really, really says it. Um, and th- I mean, this is sort of talking about other tensions that not, not just our, our guilt uh, thing, but we've, we've talked a lot about like what, um, uh, uh, how, do we, how do we stand for our values and also do so in, uh, from, from a, a loving place and, uh, and the fraught ways that we can fall on either side of that, that pitfall. Um, so this, this, I think that there's a lot going on in this question, mm-hmm. and it's such a good question um, or series of questions. But it does feel like, once again, this is something that, um, in our conscious of everything, immediately context, we, this, is, this is not something that we remove from life. Like, if we, were, if we just did life better, if we were just so much better at relationships, we wouldn't have this problem. I, I think that if, if that's what we're setting ourselves up to, like, try to get to, then we'll be unhappy. Because I, I think that this just is. Um, for me, I, I, um, in relationships, because no relationship has a glossary, right? Like we don't like, what do I do in that hard relationship? You know, it, it, relationships are so specific to each relationship. There's no like, you know, you, you look it up and then you just say, oh, okay, this is what I do in that situation. It's really specific situation to specific situation. And so this is where I think what feels really valued, valuable to me is this idea that we do have a God who is a guide, that um, in, in moments of, of difficulty when I'm not sure what to do or what decision to make, I can access wisdom that is beyond my own self. Now I have to shut myself, I have to, I have to you know, like quiet down to hear that. I may have to make sure that I'm like saturating my life with voices that are actually gonna like, you know, help me to recognize wisdom. Um, so it doesn't just happen in, in, automatically. But I do think it's really important that we, that we find God speaking to us in specific situations rather than thinking like there is the right thing to do if I could just figure out what it was or if I was smarter or if I was a better friend or, or family member. Um, I, 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 what I think is important about hearing God in these ways is like it allows us to both grapple with the really high stakes of things. Like I hear behind these question, this question that you just read of like, um, did I stop, to- did I let that person go because it was toxic or because I just didn't want to work at it anymore? Like there are, there are big things going on. There are high stakes. Maybe, you know, like I think for a lot of us, um, uh, if, if we're using those words in our own questions, maybe it's around family members who like believe very differently than us or have opinions that are very different from us politically and that's really difficult and that causes a lot of strain and it leaves us stuck or it leaves us feeling alienated or hurt or oppressed. Um, those are high stakes. And so we need God to be able to like, you know, like acknowledge those high stakes when we're asking those questions. But we also need God at the same time to lower the stakes for us personally, because the weight of the world and like whether justice will be accomplished doesn't come down to 
this one interaction of like whether I do it right. You know, so we, we both need the high stakes to be acknowledged and the stakes to be lowered for me personally. Um, and that's kind of paradoxical. And so that's why I think it, it's not just about like, you know, what's the right thing to do or did I read the right, you know, advice? It's I, God, guide me in this moment because this moment's different than the last one. Um, yeah. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah, and I think looking to Jesus for guidance in this as well, um, that when Jesus encounters people who have different perspectives and often more harmful perspectives, mm -hmm. the person experiencing harm is always centered. Um, the person in need of healing, the person in need of justice becomes the center of those interactions. And so I think that when we are navigating conversation, it's really important to center the person or people who are experiencing harm. So if you are not the one who is directly experiencing harm, could you commit to staying in the discomfort within your yeah. own boundaries? And if you are the direct recipient of harm, if this person's actions or words are coming up against your identity and the fullness of who you are, I think stepping away is okay. And yeah. that, that question gets at this difference between toxicity and discomfort. Yeah. Um, and I think with this too, we tend to downplay how important it is to listen to our bodies. I think that these sensations feel different, like being uncomfortable versus experiencing direct harm. Feels different in my body. Yeah, tension is present in both, but I think if we actually slow down and truly listen, um, it doesn't just become this like cognitive journey of discernment of what to do, but it actually yeah. becomes like, I'm trusting that my body is telling me what is safe and what is unsafe. I like the connection to paying attention to your body because that feels um, that that feels in line with this sense for me of like, I think the answer of what to do in those situations is not cognitive, it's spiritual. Mm -hmm. It is, um, there are boatloads of good ideas out there, great articles or, you know, like, uh, you know, five point Instagram posts that can help you, you know, like have like a toolbox to, to draw from in terms of how to do, how to navigate hard conversations with a family member or with mm -hmm. a friend. The issue is not, you know, like, what are the things to do? We're conscious of all the things that, might, that we might do. The issue is, what do I do in this specific one? Which tool do I pull out? And that, I think, is really good. That's idea of, like, well, we have to, we have to learn to really slow down. Um, I think paying attention to our body is, is a sort of, it's a spiritual act. If, mm -hmm. if the idea that um, I know God because God God's spirit resides in me, there is a degree of, like, you know, getting back to... Um, Getting back to really, you know, a, a better self-awareness. What, what is, is it Kierkegaard, the whole, like, know, know thyself and know God and know thyself? Is that? Yeah, it's with God's help, I will someday become myself. I love it. Uh, there we go. So there's, a, I think, uh, uh, Soren Kierkegaard, a philosopher, is a, a helpful um, uh, uh, North Star here for this. And, um, and if we can get to that place, that's where I think we, we begin to slow down enough to sense God might be leaning in a certain direction. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about this experience of hearing God in this way, of being like a flashlight, almost as like your mind is this vast space that is so overwhelming. There's no way that you could totally uh, understand all that's going on in your mind. <laughs> the mind is bigger than you. Um, I, I think of um, a lot of the Psalms have this kind of language in the way that um, the psalmists would pray about their own selves. They would say like, oh soul, why are you so downcast? As if like the soul is like this, I can't just control my soul. And I love that. I think that that's really true. I cannot just control my emotions. My emotions sometimes get away from me. My, my like how, how moody I am is sometimes not, I, I can't just control it. I can't just fix it cognitively. And so 
the, the, the encouragement back to our body, the encouragement back to like this vast mindscape and God shining a flashlight, maybe it shines a flashlight on like the right tool to use in that situation, which there, again, there are lots of them. And, and I'll, I'll bet you all know lots of these tools. Um, the issue in our, in our overly guilt-driven uh, uh, lifestyle is that it, we, because we know all of them, we feel like we should be using them correctly. Yeah. And that, that's the very problem. It's, yeah. uh, it, 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 we're not always sure what to draw from. Yeah, the resources are out there, but it's whether or not they're actually a true help or just an additional burden of something you feel like you have to learn yeah. in order to do the right yes. thing. Yes, yes. Um, that, I think, is where it becomes a process of truly listening to yourself and listening to Christ. And, and if we're talking about like the, the action point after this, having a conversation, like how present are you going to be in a conversation if you're doing all of this mental <laughs> yeah. gymnastics? Like you're not going to be present. So it's, this really is a slowing down, getting back. Um, how am I feeling? What's going on in my body? Where is God? Um, What's the flashlight shining on? Mm -hmm. And then I can maybe enter in. Um, that's all very different than I think, like, stop avoiding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's another, or there were several comments around productivity culture. Mm, yeah, that this yeah. This becomes sometimes a less than helpful alternative spirituality for secular culture. Um, so I'm curious what your thoughts are around this one. Yeah, I liked this, that we, we mentioned this a little bit last week, and then I just, I, I noted that multiple um, uh, spots in the chat were like, oh yeah, productivity culture. So, and then I had a conversation the week following with somebody that was like, yes, but the, I, I, when you mentioned productivity culture, it was, a, and so I wonder how many of us like have experience with kind of productivity culture. I also related it to something like gym culture can sometimes fall into the same kind of thing. Self-help. Self-help culture. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. That, that's, that's beyond productivity. It's not like just work, but it's just like, you know, you, you can, self-help is a good, that's a good term. It's very like broad. Um, but I, um, <laughs> I think of one really interesting thing is that like, um, there, there are all these promises in advertising around self-help or on productivity or, or, or even like financial management or something like that. Um, and I wonder if you've heard this too. It's like, it's always the phrase, something like, get your time back. Or what, re you know, like, be able to focus on what really matters. We'll take care of this for you so you can focus on what really matters. And I find that so interesting because it's almost like in all of these um, in all of these, uh, these solutions that are, that, uh, that are being advertised to us, there's an admittance that, like, there's no transcendence here. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're literally just managing, like, the, you know, the, the worst thing about life, <laughs> your, your money or, you know, your emails, right? Um, but then you can get back to what really matters. And I, I just, I find that really interesting that there, that this, this, yeah, we're accepting the fact that there's no transcendence here, but you're so busy, so we're going to take care of that for you, and that's our great service to you. And I, I do think that um, uh, I, I heard suggested, and this feels really true to me, that when, when we ask people, like, how are you, and everybody's response is, I'm busy, or I'm tired, which is my experience, that that's often what I say reflexively mm -hmm. when I'm asked that. There is a suggestion behind there of like, and I don't like that, you know, man, I'm busy, you know, and you can, and you can hear it behind them like, oh, that sounds tough. But there's also behind that a reflection of our values. Like hmm. you, what you're also saying there when you say you're busy is like things are happening. I'm not staying stagnant. Things are moving for me. And, and there's a piece of that that even though we don't like it, we also kind of do like it. Yeah. And it's like an addiction, I think, to busyness. And that's something that we need to be mindful of. Um, and I think it's behind all of this like, this productivity culture that drives us and the advertising that, that, that puts it in front of us. 
Yeah, I was listening to a podcast earlier this week and something I'll add in here. They differentiated between Gen Z response to productivity culture and millennials. Oh, interesting. Okay. um, And how Gen Z isn't as driven by self-help and productivity culture. Okay. The way that they framed it was that this age group was kind of born disenchanted with labor. Is how they they phrased it. Um, So it's not. So the side hustle is like, screw the side hustle. I'm disenchanted with that. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. So it's it's not this labor focus, this productivity focus, but instead it's influencer culture Ah, that takes its place. Um, That there's meaning behind ultimately in affirmation, gathering followers, crafting a platform. Yes. But I think that whether it's productivity culture or self-help culture or influencers, there's this compartmentalization that has to take place that you're curating reality in order to keep up. Which um, still comes back to you because you have yeah. to curate because if you don't do it well enough, you won't get the followers exactly. or you won't have the perfect look. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think it's interesting to consider what would it look like to leave behind productivity and platforms yep. in order to be a full self instead of divided into all of these different Yeah, things. yeah. And and so we, we used this word resonance last mm-hmm. week, which has been an important term as we've kind of discussed what, what um, things we want to provide for our church. Um uh, resonance, uh, the, the image of, of resonance is like two, uh, tuning forks. And if, if I, if one tuning fork is ringing and then I, uh, I hit another one and put them next to each other, eventually they will ring at the same note. And that is the idea of resonating with someone or something else, resonating with God. We might imagine ourselves as trying to like you know, ring in the same note that God is ringing at, or, 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 you know, you're trying to connect with another human being to ring in the same note that they are ringing at. And this being a really worthwhile pursuit when it comes to um, all of the things that are trying to, you know, like uh, help us uh, forgive ourselves, mm-hmm. all of the ideas out there about um, making it happen in this accelerate, accelerate, accelerate culture. Um, so whether it's productivity culture or whether it's the platforms of, uh, for, for like, you know, the drive to become an influencer or whether it is any of the other things that might grab us and kind of just keep us on that rat race. I loved that. What was the line in the John O'Donohue poem of like the, um, oh man, that was really good. What I, what I read this morning, what did I read this morning? It was, um, there are a lot of lines. you have forsa- uh, impatiently learned to receive the self you have forsaken in the race of days. Mm-hmm. Oh man, like we need to patiently learn to receive the self that we have forsaken in the race of days. Whatever it is that's keeping us in the race of days, I think, um, I think what we need to keep our, our antennas up for, what, what we're truly longing for is this idea of resonance. Yeah. And so we, what we, that's what we need. We don't need to buy the right products or signal the right virtues or even like feel personal fulfillment. I think that can sound right in a very individualistic culture. Personal fulfillment is, boy, shouldn't, shouldn't we, you know, like if, we get, if we're personally fulfilled, shouldn't that take care of everything? Maybe, maybe there's a piece of, per- I, I certainly think personal fulfillment is a, is a part of maybe, you know, being in lockstep with what is best for my life, but I don't think it's everything. I think that what, what I'm longing for is to ring at the same note as another human being or ring at the same note as a God that's bigger than me. Yeah. I think that experience of resonance allows us to come back to ourselves and to connect with other people too. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the next, there are several other comments here around burnout. Mm. 
um, that burnout is a society-wide thing and the sustainability challenge of balancing self-care and, and others' care, others yes, care yes, community yes. care, especially when it's family that we're caring for. There's some comments around that. Yes. Yeah, I remember some comments around, specifically around aging parents and mm-hmm. caring for, for aging parents. Um, and I think with this, with this balance between self-care and community care, it's been important for me to re- remember that rest is not the only interrupter of burnout. Hmm. Like I think often we, when things there's so much, we say that we need less. We need to rest. Yeah, we need, we to, need, need to stop doing things. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even rest in itself is active. But I think joy and play and things like that, you helped yeah. name joy as a collective experience yeah. for us this morning. Yeah. That joy is an interrupter of burnout too, that that brings about more meaning. Yeah. Because burnout really is the process of slowly losing meaning. And then that guilt creeps in of like, this should be meaningful, this should be important. Yeah. I should be more present, I should be more involved, all of those shoulds. Yeah. But burnout kind of has this idea of slowly losing meaning and motivation over time that bringing about joy and play and lightness and levity, that that can actually interrupt things maybe even more powerfully than just this idea of rest as an absence. Yeah, I, I wonder if um, when we use the term ac- acceleration to talk about like what life is like and why we feel so guilty, um, acceleration isn't necessarily like very kinetic, right? Like, I actually think it is rest for me to play basketball, for example, which is tiring me out, but it's rest because it's like, our acceleration culture can often be all in our minds, right? We're just cycling the same thing over and over and over again. We're losing ourselves, and we're, you know, because we're in the race of days. And, uh, and, and that is, um, that, I I think that's really, that's a really interesting, um, idea that, that the, the way to interrupt burnout is not always something that, like it could be something that's very active or very frenetic, mm-hmm. but it is for the purpose of joy or for the purpose of um, some, something other than you know, uh, staying on the treadmill of American life. Yeah. Yeah, there's another, um, I think, helping to manage your own energy and budget your own energy. I don't know if I've talked about spoon theory before. Spoon theory, I don't think you have. It's um, something that comes out of the chronic illness community, um, but it's basically saying that you have a limited number of spoons and your different things, different pieces of your identity may limit um, how many spoons you actually have access to. Okay. Um, so things like chronic illness would take away some of those spoons automatically. Okay. So for some people, brushing your teeth and brushing your hair, that's not using a spoon for the day. That's just... You just do it. It's just, mm-hmm. You just do it. But for some people, that the amount of energy and how mm. tiring that is, that's giving up one of your spoons for the day. And so the spoon, I think, is just like a nice visual to yeah. Yeah. think about like something finite and limited that you have in front of you. And so you could run out of spoons by noon and still have to function for the rest of the day. Yeah. And caring for other people complicates this too because mm. it's not just going to be self-focused energy. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about something like caring for aging parents or needing to be present for family, going through different situations, I think it's important to manage. There may be some things that I need to let go of because I don't have enough spoons for that. Yes. Um, but maybe if I'm, if I'm saving that, I'm able to be more present. This idea of if circumstances do allow, if I'm there less but I'm able to be more present, that might be more meaningful for all of the parties involved. Mm. So I think it, it comes down to how you budget your energy. I like it, Spoons Theory. Yeah, yeah. That speaks a lot to the burnout thing. Um, let me go to our next comment here. Many people um, elaborated on how much our specific experiences of guilt are dependent on 
culture or the families that raise us. So one person um, in the chat pointed out cultural differences can make uh, one's experience of guilt or forgiveness extremely different from another just because mm -hmm. maybe guilt looks a different way. Um, uh, a couple of people uh, on, on that topic mentioned to me uh, in, in person about the specific phenomenon of Catholic guilt. Um, that's something that a lot of us in um, BLC's community carry. Um, uh, they mentioned, uh, one, one person mentioned to me, like, work was slower during a season of time uh, over the summer, this past summer, and they literally felt guilt not working because they were supposed to be working hard. Life is supposed to be hard. You know, life is supposed to hurt me, and if, I, if it's not, I'm, ooh, I feel guilty, and that's just so interesting, right? Like, that, that is... Yeah. That is life is, is handing you something that, that, that could be restful or could be joyful, and you cannot receive it. Um, so that, that's a specific experience that, um, that many folks who, who've grown up in, in, a, uh, in a very spicy Catholicism um, have experienced uh, Catholic guilt. Uh, or my brother-in-law, uh, on the sort of family side, um, my brother-in-law listened to our first talk and mentioned to me like family expectations. Mm -hmm. That was not something we talked about, but I think that's something that we really could talk about. He's like, family expectations inflame guilt. And yeah. it's really different family to family to family. But if you, you know, had some sort of, you know, picture of what you were supposed to become, and, and that, usually those are products of, you know, just a family making it work in our accelerate, accelerate, accelerate culture, um, that gets laid on you, and then, and then it's, it's another layer entirely. Yeah, even things like birth order within Oh, absolutely, dynamics. absolutely, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think about when you're mentioning different religious settings, um, the guilt that comes, you're basically told that God's will counters your own desires. So if you are wanting oh, yes. something... Then you should be sacrificing. You it. should. You should because obviously God doesn't want that for you. So yeah, desi desire is like the. It's not like a, a a direction toward like what is God longing for for me. It's like if I want something, God must hate that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and obviously, this is problematic and yeah, it contradicts yeah. with this God that comes alongside of us. And um, the first week, we're talking about God helping filter demands. Yes. Yeah. And things yeah, that yeah. some of the demands of life may actually be good things. Yeah. Like just because it's more things there, it's not all negative. Um, and that some of this idea of religious guilt might seep in where it's like, oh, I do have this energy for this really joyful and positive thing, but man, I I don't deserve that. Yeah. I should be putting all my energy into work instead. There, there is a really interesting um, story of um, the, a practice that we'll, you will use from time to time uh, as a church called the examine. And I wonder if anybody has any uh, experience with the, the Ignatian uh, practice of the examine, which is a, it's basically a, reflect, a reflection practice. The simplest way to think about it is like you're, you're, you're thinking about a high and a low over your last day or over your last week or something like that. Um, but uh, St. Ignatius, who developed this, um, this is this has developed hundreds and hundreds of years ago, um, and and what was what was the uh, the interesting thing about the way Ignatius presented himself to the most of what was going on in, in Christian um, practice at the time is all deny yourself, deny your desires, deny, um, you know, like it, it, very like ascetic practices, you know what I mean? Like you were literally hurting yourself and that was like the most holy person mm -hmm. would, would, would 
totally deny themselves any pleasure. And what Ignatius um, suggested was kind of a swing of the pendulum the other direction. Uh, the examine, in particular, is about, it's not about denying your desires, it's about like peeling back the onion of discovering what your true desires are. Mm -hmm. The idea was we tend to live our life like seven or eight layers out from the, the center, and so we're a, little bit, we're a little bit off on what our desires are. We say it's this, but really that's like, uh, that, that if we, have to, we have to peel back the onion a little bit more to get at what we really want. And, um, and, but, but, but the idea is, is not to deny those desires, it's to use those desires that we experience our life at to point deeper and to find out like what's really going. I want to be a social media influencer is like a, you know, a, a desire that like is out on, on, on the outer layer. But if I, if, I look, if I look deeper in that, what is that pointing to? What's on the inside of that? It's like, I, I long to make a difference. Mm -hmm. I, I, long, I long to be someone of significance. I long to hear that I matter. That, that's a desire that's worth pursuing. Yeah. Uh, it just involves, it involves not denying those things, but discovering those things. Yes, yeah. I love that difference between denial and discovery. Yeah, yeah. And I think the more that we can actually listen to things like anxiety and like longing and like guilt. Yeah, you encouraged just, us a few weeks ago, not, yeah. not pushing those things off, but listen to them. Yeah, because it does. It, what you're getting at here is it reveals our, the true values that we want to be upholding, the real ways that we want to be living our lives out, the ways we want to be connecting with other people. All of those longings are good, and they also bring about mm. some really real fears and uncertainty and mm. mess. And instead of trying to brush that away and get back into this streamlined, curated way of yeah. navigating life, I think being able to dwell in the mess and truly listen to ourselves and listen to our bodies, that, that actually brings about deeper meaning. What if I could, in response to my frustration with myself for avoiding, what if I could see that as uh, as evidence of values that I hold, mm -hmm. that I, I, I long, to, long to be a part of something bigger, and I long to, I care about that person, that's, a, that, that, that's what's there, yeah. rather than just burying me with guilt because I haven't acted upon that yet. Yes. Mm. That's yeah. really good. That's really good. We have one more, one more really good uh, uh, feedback here that I want to bring us to. Is that, is that, do you have any more to say on that one? No, yeah. I think if we end with this last piece of yeah, the yeah, yeah, feedback. Yeah. So the um, uh, one comment was a really good counterpoint to this idea that we talked about last week of forgiveness as something bigger than us that God is calling us to participate in. So uh, the comment uh, that we received uh, was that this makes sense when we're thinking about, for example, um, exploitative capitalism, right? That's like pillaging the planet and the poor. We are all complicit with that. We need to, we need to enter into a flow of forgiveness with God in that. But um, one person mentioned they come from a collectivist culture in East Africa, and they mentioned to us that uh, being forced to participate in communal forgiveness is actually, like, you, you can be forced to do it in a way that's harmful. And so they said, as the oldest of three kids, when any of the kids are in trouble, she was considered the most culpable, like, wh because why didn't you stop it? And so to be forced to participate at all in the guilt of others, even it, that had nothing to do with her, even if what she received from that was forgiveness and not punishment in response, that had a feeling of unfair to it, like to be thrust into this, into this thing that I was never a part of. And so in that kind of case, I do think that's a call for us to remember that um, sometimes a more individualistic approach is what it feels like God might be calling us toward so we can disting distinguish between like who is at fault in a situation, who is a victim in a situation, who is a bystander in a situation. Uh, if we are just only talking about 
communal uh, matters of forgiveness, we, we don't, we're not able to see those differences. And I think that that was a really helpful counterpoint. Yeah. And I think that'll help us with our next talk to shaping um, how we move just even wider and bigger than the idea of forgiveness, which a lot of us can associate with an admittance of wrongdoing and a yes. particular act of wrongdoing. So how do we move beyond that? Yeah. Is our cliffhanger. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, and 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 uh, like I think what we want to discuss next, uh, maybe for for next week, will be the difference between forgiveness, which would be uh, what we've discussed so far, which is. Uh, responses to instances of feeling like hurt or mistakes or, or um, responses to instances of feeling guilt. You need forgiveness in those. Whereas what we want to shift the conversation now toward is grace, another religious word. Um, and grace being less about responses to situations, responses to individual instances of guilt, and more as like this pre-existing thing that is just always there, an embrace of limitations. Um, and I'm, I, I'm looking forward to digging into that a little bit more next week. Me too. Yeah. 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 All right. I think we should pray. We, Sounds good. All right. Thank you, everybody, for this, these comments and feedback. It was good to have a feedback Sunday. Um, and, uh, and it looks like we have plenty more from this week. So that's great. We want that. that is, that's what uh, really keeps these conversations uh, alive. So let me pray for us in this place. All right, God, we um, are once again collecting what it is we have, what, uh, what was triggering us from what we just talked about, or what was exciting us, or just connecting with us, resonating with us. We use that word resonate um, as we talked about this. And I, I pray that, you, that there would be a sense of you shining a flashlight in each of our mind spaces that we might know um, where, to, uh, where to investigate next where to discover next. I pray for any of us that, um, that maybe feel um, trapped by voices of like, deny, 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 uh, the, all of those desires because we feel so guilty. And maybe there's something to this idea of, oh, but we can dis- maybe, maybe we can use our guilt or our anxiety or all these feelings as, as, as uh, signals of where to go next rather than feel buried by them. If that is promising to us, we pray that you would do that for us. We pray that that would be an experience that we have as this week goes on, um, that, that we would experience that in prayer, we'd experience that in connection with another human being, that somebody would say something and it would, like, it would jog our memory or it would you know, confirm, like, oh, wow, yeah, that, that, that's what I should be thinking about. I pray that those things would happen today as we're together and as we um, interact with one another before we head off into our weeks We pray that that would be an ongoing experience for each of us in our own prayer lives and communities. In Jesus' name, amen.